when God sent Moses down to Egypt to bring out the Israelites, it was filled with miracles. God did tremendous things in getting them out. A miracle through the Red Sea. There was not one feeble person among them. There were some aged people, but they weren't feeble. Miracle after miracle happened when he got them out into the wilderness. But it was never God's will that they take a long time getting from Egypt into the promised land. It was always God's will that they get there completely and quickly. But there was a reason they had to spend some time in the wilderness. As they got into the place where they could begin to go into the promised land, they had come out. It had been a matter of months, and they could progress right on in where God wanted them to go. And Moses, by God's instruction, said to the nation of Israel, I want you to take one leader out of each tribe. There were 12 tribes. And I want you 12 guys to go into the promised land, go from the south and begin to spy out the land. I want you to come back and bring some of the fruit of the land. I want you to give us a report so that we know what we're about to confront when we get there. And so these 12 guys went out. They spent 40 days. They checked out the land and they came back. And the scripture in the book of Numbers chapter 13 gives a good description of this. They came back and they, with one cluster of grapes, it was on a big stick, a rod, and carried between two people. That's how abundant one cluster of grapes was. And so they got back and Moses says, okay, how's the land? And they, all 12 of them, agreed on some of the main aspects of it. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. There were mountains there. There were valleys there. It was fruit there. It was a great land. It was a prosperous land. They all agreed on that. But ten of them said, we can't do it. Two of them said, we can do it. The ten said, we can't do it because we saw giants there. You remember Goliath? He was from the, tri the group of people known as Anakin, the Anax. Well, we saw descendants of those giants in that land. And the ten said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight, and listen to this, and in our sight. So today, folks, it matters how you see yourself. It matters how you see God, and it matters how you see yourself as God sees you. You may think you're a grasshopper. You may think you're unimportant, but is that the way He sees you? And as long as you see yourself as a grasshopper, you're going to act like a grasshopper. But when you and I begin to see ourselves the way He sees us, which, by the way, is completely true. See, the way we see ourselves is often skewed because of sin, because we're told by the world around us, 
because of our experiences. We see ourselves a certain way. But the way He sees us is truth. And so when they got the people to complain and they fussed and they griped, they even wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua because they didn't agree with their report. When they, others got through, Caleb and Joshua said, let's arise at once, we can do it. Don't you like to be around people that say, we can do it. They got a hold of a vision that's true. We can do what God says. The circumstances may look against it, may not be favorable to it, but if God said we can do it, we can do it. You know why? Because He's going to help you. Because He's gone before you and made the way straight so you can do it. But as long as you sit on your couch and say, we can't do it, honey, you're going to sit there for a while. But if you can be like Caleb and Joshua saying, we can do this because God has taken their defenses away from them. We can do it. Well, the crowd didn't believe Caleb and Joshua. They believed the ten. Sometimes the majority is in error. Just because they got the numbers doesn't mean they're right. It just means they know how to advertise what they believe. All right? The two had it right. The ten did not have it right. But the congregation believed the ten. And so Moses said to them, All right, you were there for 40 days. You're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. Every year for every day you were there. And he said, all of those of you that were above the age of 20 that didn't believe, you're going to die. And you know what happened to those 10 that said we can't do it? There was a special plague that was released in the land and they died on the spot. Numbers chapter 14, I believe it's verse 37, says that. Those 10 died of a plague right there. And everybody else other than Caleb and Joshua, had to wander in the wilderness. And of course, Caleb and Joshua was with them. But those above 20 wandered in the wilderness till they all died off, and God raised up a new generation. Well, folks, let me tell you, you and I do not have to die of a plague. We don't have to die in a state of disobedience. We can live out every day of our life in the place and the way that God wants us. Say, does that mean we'll never have a problem? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that. You're going to have some, but you can win. You're going to have some, but you can overcome. You're going to have some because Jesus has already overcome and has given us His victory. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See that? Oh yeah, those things are going to happen. You know, the the believing one, Joshua and Caleb and all those below the age of 20, they had to experience to some degree what the whole congregation, which would be maybe two to three million people, experienced for 40 years. Have you ever thought about that? They were saying what was truth and right and what God wanted, but because they were a part of the congregation, the nation of Israel, they had to walk through what everybody else was walking through. 
But the good news is they walked through it and didn't die in the midst of it. Maybe there's some things in your life you're having to experience because of society around you. You didn't do anything to make it happen, but you're living through it because of decisions that were previously made by somebody. And that's true of all of us, folks. But you don't have to die in the midst of it unfulfilled in the plan of God. You can be a Caleb, you can be a Joshua, and you can be an overcomer in the midst of it. Today I want to talk to us from two chapters in the book of Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4. And I'm just going to highlight some scriptures as to why the congregation of Israel, the nation of Israel, did not get into the promised land and how that may be applicable to you and me in circumstances in our life. Now, one of the first things they couldn't go in, the scripture says, was because of their unbelief. That's in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. They had a heart of unbelief. And notice something about this unbelief. He said it was evil. Do you know some people confuse doubt and unbelief as if they were the same? They're not. You may have doubt. Doubt simply means you're unconvinced. The Bible never calls doubt evil. All right? You just need to be taught and you need to be convinced of the truth of the Word of God. But he said here, these people had an evil heart of unbelief. That means they could have chosen to believe, but their decision was, we don't believe it. See, they could have believed because of what Caleb and Joshua said. They could have. That was a good report. We used to sing a chorus around here, whose report will you believe? You know, that's true of all of us. There are times you're going to have to choose whose report you're going to believe. You're going to believe Fox News and CNN? Or are you going to believe what God says? I tell you, if you listen to modern media, you'll get depressed quick. I don't care they're conservative or liberal, it don't matter. You can, get de- you can get depressed listening to any of that stuff unless you believe what God says. God says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Praise God. He's got promises like that full. Bible's full of them. So they did not believe because of their unbelief. And then in chapter 3 and verse 19, he says, see... Uh, we see that they could not enter enter in because of their unbelief. But look what he tells them in the very next verse, in verse 13. But exhort or encourage one another daily, while it's called a day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened heart. And how do you get it? Deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceiving. Sin is very deceiving. Let me say that again. Sin is very deceiving. You don't think it's too bad. It's no, that's not a bad deal. You know, it's not. But if God said don't do it, it's a bad deal. If it's something little in our eyes that he said don't do, and if you disobey, that's a bad deal. So they had an evil heart of unbelief. And secondly, they hardened their hearts. 
But how can you and I overcome it? He said, but you encourage one another daily. You encourage one another daily. You encourage. You know what Caleb and Joshua were doing when they came back and gave their report? They were encouraging them that we can do this. In fact, Caleb said, we're well able to go in and take the land. You know that guy was 85 years old when he said that. He's 85 years old. You got an 85-year-old who says, I'm as strong today as I was 40 years ago. We can do this. We can take the land. They encouraged the congregation. And you and I can encourage each other. You know, when somebody is going through trials or difficulties or problems, and somebody, one of your friends comes along and says, yes, I can see how bad and how terrible that is. Oh, I can just see that. My aunt had the same thing you got. She laid on her deathbed 37 years before she died. Does that encourage you to hear stuff like that? I don't think so. I don't think so. You say, well, I'm just trying to be sympathetic. Well, keep it then. If that's sympathy, keep it. Nobody needs that. You know what we ought to do? We ought to start spouting the Word of God. The Word of God says, I know that's the symptom, I know that's the problem, but God says about this. See? Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. By His stripes you're healed. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Encourage one another to possess the land. Rise up. Don't just sit there and say, well, I'm so... No. Quit complaining. You know, God rebuked some Israelites for complaining. If you want to know, there's five things that He dealt with them about. Paul tells the church at Corinth and us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they lusted for things they didn't need. They did five things, and in those five things, one of them was complaining. Do you like to be around people that complain? Oh, oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Second verse is nobody's experienced it as bad as I got it. Third verse is, woe is me. I guess calamity is just around the door. It's going to get worse. Bless God, bless His holy name. It's getting worse. Several years ago, we used to have testimony services. And the reason we don't have them anymore is because of what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> we just have public testimony. Anybody have a testimony? You can just stand up where you are and give a testimony. We had stuff like that going. But we had too many of them was like this. And we said, well, you know, I'm trying to live for God. I want you to know I love Jesus. I'm just holding on. I'm praying that I can hold on to the end. And I heard that, and I heard that. Every time I'd hear that, I think, dear God, I thought I was doing a better job of teaching these critters. <laughs> oh, I need to go back and teach on that again. They didn't get it. You know, I'm glad I don't have to hold on to God. I'm glad He's holding on to us. Because if it was us, if it was dependent on us holding on to him, we'd have turned loose a long time ago. That's right. 
In fact, the Bible says we're in Jesus' hand. This is in the book of Colossians. And he's in the Father's hand. That's where we are. That's where we are right there. We got Jesus and the Father holding us. But they would say stuff like that and said, okay, that's enough of that. And I felt good before I came to church. I feel like a worm now. Going to have to look up to see the bottom. So we quit having those testimonies. Until somebody has a testimony that's worth listening to. Another reason they didn't go in was because of their disbelief or disobedience. This is in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter in and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Disobedience. They simply disobeyed God. They had an evil heart of unbelief. They hardened their heart because of the sin, the complaining, etc. And they totally disobeyed. And it wasn't because of ignorance. It was willful. You know, it's one thing to be totally deceived. It's another thing to choose to do wrong. Let me say that again. It's one thing to be deceived. It's another thing to choose to do it. They chose to do it. Caleb and Joshua told them the truth. And they chose to not believe it. And they chose to disobey. And as a result of that, they got to spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, something that they could have progressed from the Red Sea into the Promised Land and began to possess the Promised Land in a matter of weeks or months. Instead, they spent 40 years. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend 40 years trying to get to the place God wants me to in this life. Anybody here want to wander around for 40 years? I hope not. I hope not. Back in the 90s, I had the privilege, and I've told this story before, but I tell it again because it fits in here so well. Back in the 90s, I had the privilege to do some work with uh, Lester Summerall from South Bend, Indiana. And I got to go with him a few times on his plane and go to meetings with him and check out things about his Bible college and all of that. One day, he and I were coming back from a place where he had given a testimony and uh, flying in his plane... And we got on the, in the plane and just had taken off. And he said, Carol, I want to tell you something. I said, yes, sir. I'd like to get anybody, anything from anybody that's been around like he had. I said, yes, I, I'm, I'm listening. He said, don't wait till you're 75 to get in the place where God can use you. I said, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, man, you're right. I don't want to wait till I'm 75. And he said, when he was 75, now, now at the time he told me that, he was in his early 80s. He said, when I was 75, I was in the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord came and spoke to me one night and told him to go out and start the jo Joseph program about churches raising money and giving it to people in foreign countries that had less and they need money just to live and eat on, and pastors specifically. And he said, he told the Lord, said, Lord, why did you wait till I was 75? tell me this and said the Lord spoke to him and said I just now got you in a place where I can trust you and that was Lester Summerall who said that in his early 80s he said the Lord said I just now got you in the place where I can use you you know that may be true of some of us 
It could be that God can't bless us any more than He already has because we may not be in the place where we can properly handle it. I heard a pastor on TV a number of years ago who said, the message he was teaching this particular day, it came from his pulpit, can you stand to be blessed? Brother Jakes, T.D. Jakes. Can you stand to be blessed? And I first heard the topic he was going to preach on, and I got to thinking, well, of course we can. We're believers. Then as he began to proceed in his message, I, I got where he was going. I understood what he was saying. Sometimes we can't stand it because it might hurt us. You say the blessings of God hurt us? Yes, if you handle it incorrectly. You know, one of the ways it can hurt us, you get proud. I tell you, God used me. He didn't use you. I got the anointing in my hand. I can tell it. Look how it shakes. I tell you, that person got healed because I laid my hands on them. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, you hear me? To have that mentality is dangerous. You couldn't heal a gnat's eyeball. If God's not doing it, it's not going to get done. Right? Now, can God use anybody? He surely can. He used a donkey one time. He even allowed that donkey to talk in the language those people understood. He's been using donkeys ever since. If he has to wait till somebody is perfect, he won't be using anybody. Through those flaws in all of us, what am I saying? If we get proud, you can take and misuse the blessing of God. Sometimes people take away an opportunity or a method that God used at one particular time and think God's got to always do it that way every time. Do you know, God may change it up sometime. Do you know, He heals some people by just speaking to them. He heals some people by touching them. He heals some people. He heals some blind people by spitting placing his hands on her eye. It's not very sanitary. If that were happening today, we'd have somebody who started to spit in your eye club to get healing. They'd be putting spit in the blind eyes of a whole bunch of people. Well, if God didn't say do that, don't do it. Now, if he does say do it, you better obey what he said. But just make sure you're hearing the voice of God. You guys remember us talking about Smith Wigglesworth, great man of God. He was rather dramatic. One time he was having a prayer line, and this woman came. He says to her, ma'am, what's your problem? He saw she had a big belly. He thought maybe she's pregnant. No, she had this tumor. And he felt like God said, double up your fist and hit her in the stomach. And he went, pow! Tumor disappeared just like that. Totally healed. There was an American evangelist who heard that. Oh, no. 
Well, if, 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 if Smith Wigglesworth can do that, and God heals tumors, he had a tent. This is back in the late 50s, early 60s. And so the lady came in his prayer line. She had this big belly. If God will do it for Smith, he'll do it for me. And he hit her right in the gut. She fell down on the floor, moaning and groaning and holding her stomach. And her husband was not well pleased. And not only did that evangelist get in trouble, he got sued for a whole parcel of money. And he should have been. Are you here? He should have been. Because that God didn't tell him to do it simply because he told Smith Wigglesworth to do that. You get my point. Sometimes we're not in a place where we can handle the blessings of God to the degree that God would like to be able to give them. Unbelief, hardness of heart, disobedience. So what are you and I going to do about it? Well, here's what we need to do about it. Look in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Here's what we need to do about it. It says this, For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What you and I need to be doing is declaring what the word of God says. Declare what the word of God says. Remind God of His Word. Father, Your Word says. This is what You say. Do you know God will keep His Word? His written Word. He'll back up everything He promises in this book. He'll back it up. He won't back up everything you and I say unless we say what He's already said. You remember that passage in the Bible that says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven? Do you know the reason that promise can be made? Read it in its original, and it will say it like this. Whatever you bind on earth will be that which has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be that which has already been loosed in heaven. See, if you and I try to bind something that he hasn't said is already bound, it won't work. Or if we try to lose something he hasn't already said it's been loosed, it won't work. So we need to find out what he's already bound, then we can declare it. We need to find out what he's already loosed so we can declare it. Well, what has been bound, what has been loosed? Things he promised in his word. It has. Look in verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Notice we're talking about written word. Now it sounds like we're talking about a person. We are. Jesus. See, the Bible is known as the written word of God, and Jesus is known as the living word of God. That's the distinctions that can be made in Scripture. That which is recorded, written, that which is living. He is the Word. He's known as the Word. First John says the Word, the Spirit, and the blood. Jesus is the Word. The Bible is the written Word. You and I can find out he's, what He's already said about this and we can see it come to pass. So we need to renew our minds with the Word of God. Do you know, folks, our biggest problem is not what is happening in the world today. 
No, that's not our biggest problem. I submit to you that our biggest problem right now today is what's on the inside of us that has not been made right yet or brought to the feet of Jesus Christ. For example, in the book of Mark chapter 7, I believe verses 14 and following, it says, he's talking, Jesus here, talking to a bunch of Pharisees that were, they had these rules and regulations they had added to the Mosaic law that said, you cannot eat food unless you wash your hands in the ceremonial way of doing it. Even if you wash your hands like this and you don't do it long enough in the proper way, you're not allowed to eat food. Jesus said, that which from without comes in, talking about their idea about food, will not defile the man. But he goes ahead to say that which defiles the man is those things that are within. All right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It talks about you have a, that you would be sanctified in spirit, soul, and body and be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. Verse 24. He who has promised that will perform it. You are a tripartite or three-part individual. Your body is the house you live in. Your spirit is where the life of Jesus lives in you if you're born again. But the real problem area, it really isn't the body, nor is it the spirit, it's the soul. What's the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. Just about every problem you and I have can be attributed back to one or more of those three. That's where our problem is. It's in a mind that's unrenewed to the Word. It's in a will that's not committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's in an emotional response that is not harnessed. You know, I thank God for emotions. I really do. I'm glad God made us emotional people. But I'm telling you, they have to be harnessed. Sometimes we act out of emotion only when it's not harnessed to the direction that God wants. You know, you, you and I need to be emotional in worshiping God. That's one of the best places to release emotion is in worship to God. Get all excited about Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus, thank you, Lord. That's like death warmed over. We ought to get all excited about Jesus. Thank God He died for you. He took your place on the cross. He was raised again. He ascended back to the Father. He forgave you of your sins. Hallelujah. That's worth getting excited about. And God gives us emotions to get excited about Him in worship. So we need emotions. But emotions acted apart from God is not necessarily good. They could be damaging. So, you need to have your emotions harnessed. You need to have your will committed. Your will committed means I made a choice. I made a decision. I'm committed. Whether it's good right now, whether it's bad right now, I've made a decision 
and this decision is going to stick. When I do premarital counseling, I tell the young fellow and the young girl there, I say, you know, God's going to require you to make a commitment. He's not requiring you just to make a choice in the popular use of the word. You know, a commitment is a choice that's made that's going to be kept. You make a commitment. And you know what that commitment says in the typical marriage vow? Until death do us part. Not till you find somebody else who's handsome or she's gorgeous. It says till death do us part. That means until death do us part. I had a middle-aged couple in my office one time a few years back. And they were having some problems. So we were talking about some issues. And I reminded them of their commitment they made. Because I had married them about 20 years or so before. Performed the ceremony for them. And I said, do you remember what you said on that day? And I told them what they had said and what they had promised. And the lady spoke up. She said, yes, and his day of departing is soon to get here. I said, that's not what we're talking about. That's illegal. It's called murder. (laughs) We're talking about a commitment you make. See, commitment of the will. But then it all goes back to renewing your mind with the Word of God. If you renew your mind, it becomes easier to commit your will. It becomes easier to control the emotions or harness the emotions when the mind is renewed. A lot of mental problems exist because people haven't renewed their mind to the Word of God. They haven't got their emotions controlled and harnessed. They've not been able to make a quality decision or commitment like they should have. All right, let's go on down to the rest of the chapter in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Somebody may say, but you don't understand my problems. No, but Jesus does. He does. You don't understand the temptation that I face. You don't understand the addiction. You don't understand. I had my oldest brother was an alcoholic for 25 years. Every member of the family talked to him numerous times, prayed with him, prayed for him, all of this. And his comeback would often be, you're not an alcoholic, you don't understand. And that's partly true. There's some truth to that, not total truth, but part, part of it, that's true. But you see, Jesus does. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are. Yet, without sin, he understands. And he's the one that's going to set people free. He's the one that's going to set people free. My oldest brother finally got right with God in the hospital. And even though the chaplain who was talking to him at the time didn't know to pray for healing, God supernaturally healed him. He got born again and healed at the same instant. He had his whole stomach, his doctor said, was nothing but one ulcer. Ulcer covered all the insides of his stomach. 
In fact, they had to give him whiskey just to be able to get food in him because if you put food in there without first putting some whiskey in there, it burned and hurt so bad. He couldn't, he couldn't digest anything. But that night when he made Jesus Lord, totally healed. The reason we know it, the next morning, the lady always comes around and says, what would you like for breakfast? And you know, got the plan there, the paper that you fill out and all that stuff. She came by and said, what would you like to eat for breakfast, Mr. Parrish? And before that, he couldn't eat anything. He said, well, today I believe I'd like some scrambled eggs and bacon and toast. And see, she didn't know his history. She's just taking orders. So she had that sent up to him, and he sat there and ate it. No problem. He lived 27 more years after that. No problem. No more alcohol. No more ulcer in the stomach. You know why? Because the healer paid him a visit. And that healer's visit was dependent on his quality decision and his commitment. And he was able to renew his mind about some things about Jesus Christ. And he stayed healed. Hallelujah. What are we saying? We're saying that you have a great high priest. You may look at yourself and you may say, I see flaw after flaw after flaw. And that's probably true of all of us. But you know what? We can know where to go to get that flaw taken care of. We can know where to go that can someone who can intervene in our life. Our part to play is that we want to enter into God's rest. See, God wanted to get the Israelites out of Egypt, out of, through the wilderness, into the promised land, which was known as a place of rest. You and I have our place of rest, not in a geographical location, but we have it in the will of God. See, there remains a rest for the people of God. He that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. That's in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, I believe, in verse 10. And uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 says that at the end of the six days when God had spoken into creation all that he made, all that he created, said, and God rested. When he finished what he was doing, he rested. That verse says, we can enter into his rest when we... Quit doing our thing. You know, as long as I do my thing, God will let me do it. He's already told me in His Word. You know, if you do this, you're going to pay the consequences of this, but you can do it if you want. I strongly advise you not to. In fact, I'm telling you not to. But when a person has entered into rest, like we're talking about, these passages indicate it's an individual who says, okay, God, I don't want my will or my way. I want yours. And I'm willing to go your will. I'm willing to go your way. I'll start renewing my mind in the Word. I'll harness my emotions. I will make quality decisions that I intend to keep. Now, we can say like Jesus, in the garden. Father, not my will, but your will be done. That prayer was a prayer of consecration. Not that Jesus didn't want to do the will of the Father. He's showing us He was submitted to the will of the Father. And when you know the Word of God and God's will, you can say, 
not mine, Lord. I choose yours. I choose yours. God's looking for people that are willing to do that. Not a one-time event, but every day. You know what you and I need to do? This fits in with another passage of Scripture it talks about. That an individual must deny himself and take up his cross. What's the next word? Daily and follow him. These are quality decisions that have to be made when every situation arises for a decision to be made. We have to make that quality one. Okay, I choose at this moment to take up my cross. What's my cross? It's where my will intersects with His will. It's not a piece of wood. It's a decision. I can go my way, I can go His way, and I know that, but I choose to go His way then I've just laid down my way and assumed His. And you know, that's when we find out that you can be in the midst of turmoil and yet have peace. You don't have to wait till everything's perfect to have peace. If you did, it might be a long wait for some of us. You can have peace in the midst of difficult situations. But it's when we come into that place of rest of yieldedness to Him and allow God to really be Lord and Master in every aspect of our life.